0: Welcome to the Health Enthusiasm Podcast, a panel discussion on behaviors, innovations, and trends in health and self-care. My name is Christophe Choquet. I'm the author of the book called Health Enthusiasm, and a global keynote speaker on the future of health and self-care business. Every month, I discuss with a panel of experts the positive changes that are shaping our health and happiness. And today, we have three panelists. Calling in from Barcelona is our digital health connector, Aline Noizé. Hola. From London, customer experience and research expert, Krupa Sutar. Hi
1: everybody.
0: And last but not least, from Ghent, Belgium, human experience expert, Mo Zouina. Hi there. This means that we are missing our American in Paris and medical expert in digital health, Aditi Joshi. She sent me a text message that she was on holiday, but um, I don't know, we'll, we will try to reach her a little bit later on. Anyways, together... We as a panel, we want to amplify the health enthusiasm that we see in articles, new business ventures, or simply even in the world around us. Now, if you're new to the show, you might wonder what health enthusiasm is all about. Well, health enthusiasm is the aspiration that we all have to be healthy and happy. And as a result of this, every company or organization is now more than ever focused on making their customers healthier and happier. So tell me, Mo. What hell enthusiasm did you witness in the past months? Well, I witnessed it and I
2: experienced it. I went to the Love Tomorrow conference, which is kind of a sidestep from one of the biggest entertainment brands in the world, which is called Tomorrowland. And Tomorrowland has a lot of pillars and, uh, you know, Joining your health, health enthusiasm initiative, it's an entertainment brand that is stepping into sustainability and health. And they're just figuring out, you know, while we're organizing this, how do we keep it healthy and sustainable so we can do that for longer, but that it doesn't also cause harm. And during the Love Tomorrow Congress, which was in between the concerts, which is, by the way, a very interesting way of attracting more people, in between the weekends when, you know, the concert grounds are empty, they discussed how health, food, construction, global footprint, uh, CO2 footprint and everything could be reduced. And they had some really, really interesting speakers. So once again, an entertainment brand that wants to go into health and how can we make entertainment as healthy as possible? I think it's really promising
0: yeah lovely and they do have in one of their three or four pillars which are the pillars of of their mission health and well-being as one of the, the the core elements and that is also the case for hyundai by the way if you've seen my keynotes in the past one of the remarks that i always make is that i believe that mercedes-benz is probably one of the most promising healthcare companies in the world because ever since 2017, they created a fit and health car which has some sort of smart cabin in it that monitors a lot of vitals. Now Hyundai in 2017 was also at the CES event, the most influential tech event in the world. And they also presented the same thing. I don't know, I chose Mercedes for my keynotes because a lot of physicians and a lot of pharma people and business people are riding with Mercedes expenses, but now Hyundai Mobis, which is a part of the Hyundai Group. It's the auto parts vendor. They have created that cabin, that smart cabin, and they are selling it to other constructors as well. They call it the moving health checkup center. And it actually measures your posture, your heart rate. It measures your stress, brainwaves, and all of that through different types of sensor. And you should know, I wrote about it in earlier newsletters, that the automotive active health monitoring market so I repeat that, the automotive active health monitoring market is bound to become a market of 10 billion by 2030. So Hyundai is moving into the healthcare space. It's by the way, not the first time. They've, they also have a partnership with now Air RX in California to deliver prescription medication with autonomous vehicles as well. So a car manufacturing moving into the healthcare space at an increased speed, let's say. Aline, what health is that you see?
3: So for me, this month was the news that we talked quite a lot in Spain, which is a draft law that's been approved that would grant employees the right to take paid sick leave to when they have severe menstrual pain. So if you think that 90% of the women suffer from bad cramps when they have their, their periods, and many of those women, it's just so bad that they can't function properly, they're not really being productive at work. So the idea of the government, that's, it, this is already implemented in other countries like Korea, Indonesia, Japan. So if it is approved, it would be the first country in Europe to have that paid leave. And it would grant employees like three to five days, depending on the people. You would need the prescription from healthcare professionals and you could you could stay home.
0: That would be quite a, a change indeed. Kupa, any thoughts or enthusiasms on this?
1: I really like it. I think here in the UK, I think it takes an average of seven years to be diagnosed from a condition which is known as endometriosis. It actually affects one in 10 women and it's actually the same as the number of people who have diabetes as well, I believe. And... um, yeah, the amount of time it actually takes, therefore, women are suffering is is and having to go to work is very very difficult. So um, it's great to see more and more countries embracing this as well. And another thing, just in relation to this, is here in Scotland they've just um, approved free sanitary products and period poverty so this is a scheme that will start or has started and it's then up to the local councils to provide period or sanitary products for women that actually need it and qualify for it because uh, the average cost of buying them is around eight pounds per per month and so a great way to make healthcare more um
0: accessible for all women it's a, it's a very there's a very strong movement going on it's a very strong health enthusiasm around women's health for sure we already discussed it in last week's or last month's episode go and check it out perhaps i do have another health enthusiasm before i get back to you krupa maybe you've heard it or seen it but bite dance which is the um, company behind tiktok They've actually acquired one of China's largest hospital chains, private hospital chains. It's called AmCare. They're specifically specialized in women's hospitals and children's hospitals, and they actually acquired it for 1.5 billion. So that's a, the TikTok company moving into healthcare at a radical speed. And it might be a little bit, it might be sound a little bit surprising, but at the same time. ByteDance has already a medical encyclopedia, which is called Baikeimi or ByKimi. They bought it in, in March 2020 already, just at the, um, the COVID beginnings. And it's actually in a Wikipedia website, if you will, that has or contains explainer videos by doctors on multiple diseases. And they also have created their own healthcare app for teleconsultations, which is called, and this is my best Chinese, Xiaowei Yiliao. Something I probably just completely pronounce it um, in, in the wrong way. But TikTok, or at least ByteDance, the company behind TikTok, is accelerating their presence in healthcare, which is, if you're talking about health-thusiasm, this is definitely a, a great example of health-thusiasm. Krupa, what else do you have?
1: I came across a article, actually it stems from quite a while ago, in 2019, LinkedIn, alongside other Large companies began offering support for their employees who are going through fertility treatment. As we know, ben- uh, companies offer a range of benefits to attract and retain their colleagues. And sometimes these can be from the smallest things, such as pizza Fridays or drinks on Fridays, through to probably what's more meaningful for people and has an effect on their livelihood and their life and their family life and, and how invested they are at work. So they introduce this fertility package, and it allows couples or women or men, who, someone who is going through fertility treatment or is going through the adoption process to claim back the money that they spend on their cycles. So, for a fertility treatment cycle, they allow employees to claim back up to £7,000 in the UK, and then there's a lifetime claim back of £21,000. They recently conducted a survey of over 5,000 workers, and what they found is that this type of policy has had actually a huge impact on their workforce. They have higher retention, they've been um, attracting staff, and they have higher employee well-being. What they also said, the head of company benefits has mentioned that when they talk about their benefits when people first join the company, they think it's a, a wow moment because they're so uh, impressed that it offers this. There's also a knock-on benefit because it allows for the breakdown of, or oh, it allows, sorry, for uh, fertility discussions to be normalised in the workplace. So, if the couples need to take time off work, they need flexible working, or if unfortunately a cycle hasn't worked, it just allows for management and maybe colleagues to support them throughout. So, this is my health enthusiasm. I think it's, I know it's going to, it's so attractive for people who are going through something like this, and yeah. will make a huge benefit. So, I think this is a really great opportunity and scheme that's being offered.
0: Yeah, LinkedIn shown health enthusiasm for their female employees, women's health again. I'll go back to the tech companies with another health enthusiasm, which I probably I'm not a I'm not a physician, I'm not a, a medical trained person, and um, so I can't probably grasp the the magnitude of it. But just by reading the article, I, I was really amazed, and it's about Google's Deep Mind, and it's about the proteins. Now you have to know that in 1957, John Kendrew of Cambridge University created the first 3D image drawing of a protein. He actually received a Nobel Prize for it. And that was the first one. It took him 22 years to do that. Now we are 65 years later, and Google DeepMind can now predict the 3D structure of every protein known in the world. Every protein. That's about 200 million. And it was based on the 100,000 known structures that we have today. And so this is a, a remarkable achievement apparently because the tool which is called AlphaFold is an open AI system and so it could really help in finding new medications way faster because we understand the 3D structures of proteins way better apparently. And so even Google has now promised to work together with WHO on drugs for neglected diseases. So they will, based on the intelligence that they gathered and what the other application of the AIs could bring, they would try to discover drugs for diseases that are neglected by big pharma because they are perhaps less commercial. So pretty amazing achievement. We're also focused on metaverse, we're also focused on digital humans as we did last month. Um, but AI is still developing at an increasing speed. And this is one of the things that have really amazed me in the past months. And there is another one, big tech related, and that is related to Amazon. I think last month, Aditi uh, mentioned that Amazon bought One Medical, which is a virtual care well, it's a primary care clinic. They have about three thousand employees in um, Boston, Washington DC, San Francisco, and Chicago. But they also offer some offer some virtual care. And so they really bought it. It's, it wasn't really clear back then for IDT what the opportunities were, but it was for a, a large amount of money. It was about three point five billion. And now Amazon announced that they will shut down Amazon Care. It's an internal healthcare offering that provides virtual visits. But also actually actual visits in the house to, to, to do some testing, to do some vaccination and all that. Well, they decided suddenly to stop it. It was a rumor that later was um, confirmed by uh, the direction of Amazon. And so I think after the announcement, and I know, and I know how Aditi loves Amazon, I think it might be a good moment just to try to reach her and ask for her opinion. Let me dig up her phone number. Hi, you've reached Aditi. Unfortunately, I'm not available right now, but please try again later. Okay, so she, she is still on holiday, and it's it's hard to get a hold of her. Um, so the question really is, what is happening with Amazon? Are they getting out of um, healthcare after having done such a huge investment in One Medical as well, or, or is it too difficult? Or what are, what are the learnings? So there's a lot of things going on, and if you look at social media, I think, in my opinion. I think one of the things that it might hint to is maybe the one medical purchase is already being reviewed by antitrust laws. So maybe Amazon is becoming too big in healthcare. And so maybe that's why they are also stepping away from Amazon Care. Perhaps even I read one article that says that Amazon is about to do their biggest purchase yet in health, even bigger than the one medical for $4 billion because it was said that perhaps they would buy signify health which is also um, a virtual care setting but that has also two, 2 million home uh, visits every year signify health definitely has a health tourism uh, approach because what they s- believe in is that health happens outside of healthcare system and i think that might be a great f- fit for Amazon. You had any thoughts on that, Mo? I think it's a rationalization of how they're going to
2: play in health. If you look at the Medical One experience, I think Amazon was really, really far from providing that level of excellence. And I think they're just going for the best there is. I think it's more something of an overlap than kind of inconsistency. I think uh, it crystallizes their ambition to really move forward into health and to be you know, as we know, to provide not only the best customer experience, but also the best patient experience.
0: Fully agree, Mo. And indeed, I mean, we are living in an enthusiasm world. We talked about Google, we talked about LinkedIn, we talked about the Spain, Spanish government, we talked about a festival, we talked about Google, and we talked about TikTok. And so many positive changes are making our world a little healthier and happier every day. And so we really enjoy watching these changes unfold. And I personally, I analyze them even. I try to understand the broader impact of these. And I even write a newsletter about it called It's a Enthusiasm World. If you're interested, go and discover them on healththusiasm.com. Now, every month during the Healththusiasm podcast, I'll recap one particular newsletter for the panel to debate. This week's newsletter is Metabolic Mastery. Let's get into it. So the Newsletter, Metabolic Mastery, is about our metabolism. Again, I'm not a a medically trained person, so I'm probably not qualified enough to explain it to you. But for the sake of being, what I read about it is that it is a series of chemical processes in each of our cells, of course. It it makes calories into fuel, and it helps sustain our life and our everyday function. Metabolic health, then again, is has described the ideal levels of blood sugar, triglycerides, um, triglycerides, uh, HDL, and blood pressure, which if they are ideal, you have a lower risk of developing conditions like obesity, um, hypertension, heart disease, or strokes. thing is that people more and more believe that our metabolism and having a good metabolic health or the opposite, having a metabolic dysfunction might actually risk more chronic inflation in your body, inflammation in your body, which means that you could have a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. You might have a lower immunity. Uh, you might have a higher risk for cancer, pneumonia, or any other hormonal diseases. Now, because of this evolution and because of multiple other things, I really believe that in the next couple of years, we will see an increased focus on metabolic health and our metabolism. First of all, because there's three things happening. There's an evolution in the macro trends around us. There are a ton of innovations. And third, there is our own personal aspirations in life. Let's start with these three things, one by one, and discover why I believe that metabolic health management or metabolic mastery, as I like to call it, becomes increasingly important. First of all, the macro trends. I think if you look at studies and you look precisely into the numbers, you'll you'll notice that the majority of people actually have some form of metabolic syndrome. Actually, studies have shown that 88% of Americans have metabolic syndrome. And there's reasons to believe that probably in Europe or in China, we're going in that same direction. At the same time during pandemic, what we've noticed is that people with a weakened immunity, such as cardiometabolic patients, they had a higher risk of catching COVID and actually perhaps even dying from it. The WHO even said that we are in need of a metabolic reset. Also on Google search, you find a lot of people looking into metabolism, metabolic health more and more. So there's a, a couple of trends out there that put metabolic health in front of everything and making it more important. At the same time, there's a lot of innovations in this space as well. We have the continuous glucose monitoring systems by Abbott and Dexcom, um, who are used for diabetic patients, but increasingly also by startups. Startups like Levels, Super Sapiens, Veri, Vital, Nutriscience, Signos, and there's a lot of them out there. But even Apple, Google, Amazon, Fitbit, they all showed interest in measuring glucose monitoring continuously. I can even say, if you're talking about health enthusiasm, that Best Buy has, which is an American consumer electronics company, by the way, they have a program available, which is called Season of Me. And it's actually a 90-day program where based on your glucose monitoring, you can manage your health. So glucose monitoring, an essential part of your metabolism, is becoming increasingly important and increasingly Used. But as other solutions like bread analyzers, in home tests, smart toilets, even the popularity of keto diets might have an impact on your blood sugar. We are moving away from processed foods. Diets are less about losing weight and more about having a good metabolism. Supplements are focused on metabolic health. And you have even Novo Nordics, who's working together with the University of Copenhagen to create what they call the Netflix for food. And based on their glucose measurements, but also metabolomics data or microbiome samples, they will advise you what to eat. And then there's a whole new area of circadian health that actually says that when we eat how and and, and when we sleep, actually has a big impact on the way that we regulate our system, such as our metabolism as well. So there's a lot of things happening, there's a lot of innovations happening in the metabolic health area. And why is that relevant? Why do we think it is important for ourselves? I think we all want to be saved from or protected from diseases like Alzheimer, heart diseases or strokes. We all want to have the best energy in our lives. And I think metabolic health and optimal metabolic health can definitely help with that. Or we want to have mental clarity. So the newsletter basically summarizes everything that's happening in the metabolic health sphere. And in my belief, I'm pretty convinced that in the next couple of years, this focus on metabolic health and our own metabolism will only increase. And that's what I call the metabolic mastery. Your thoughts. I saw Krupa nodding on the screen here in front of me. So what were your thoughts when you read or heard the um, the talk that I just quickly did?
1: I think it's a really fascinating area. I'm quite passionate about nutrition. Um, I think there's a long way to go. There's still very much the presence of what is known as the SAD, the standard American diet. And it will be really interesting to see how this is implemented in countries across the world. Obviously, we know that... Obesity rates are higher in, say, the Western uh, world than say, in other parts of the world. So implementing this alongside getting larger companies on board is going to be a huge effort. I think that's going to have to be made. Um, you're right. There are uh, shifts happening, trends happening, especially with the younger generations who are more um, interested in how they, uh, what they eat, how they eat, what's going into their body. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what shifts are made for, say, the um, older generations than, say, the younger generations. Totally agree. There's a huge movement as well happening on your glucose, what time of day you eat, when you eat, because it impacts your sleep cycle. Uh, it impacts how your body is processing the food alongside the sugars and whatnot and how that's being released into your body. There's so much that could be said on this topic, I believe. It's a start, I would say, I'm just interested to see where it goes because there's always the discussion, especially in the UK, that eating healthy um, is actually more expensive. It's cheaper just to go and buy frozen food or um, uh, less healthy food, which obviously is the um, opposite of, of what you're suggesting here. So how is this put into practice for countries, especially given the economic challenges countries are currently facing so that's my
0: take on it. Yeah, I think it's a fair point for sure. I do hope that's my positive view on things is that if the knowledge about metabolism, our metabolism and metabolic health in general increases, that the pressure on governments and definitely on brands and companies will only increase. And that's, this is pretty much what I believe that will happen is that more and more companies will feel the need to actually use metabolic health as a reason to buy their products. Mo, what's your thought on this? I think I'm really happy that we're
2: talking at a level that goes beyond just weight or blood sugar or anything else, because metabolic health is something that is integral. That is the advantage that we have a more holistic view on a condition. And what is strange, it's also a condition that is often a consequence of behavior. We look at, you know, we think of progress in something that makes life more qualitative, but progress gives us convenience, gives us the availability, and then kind of stimulates a lifestyle that makes us sick, right? I love the fact that we're talking at a different level, not just fragments, but I'm also afraid that people will take some bits and bytes and look at it and also be discouraged because if you want to address it in an integral way, it requires looking at you know, a lot of different things. It's about, as you said, it's about sleep, it's about nutrition, it's about exercise. It's also about mental health. It's about microbiome health. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the metabolic syndrome is something that has been, you know, exponentially rising through the last decade. And I think it's one of the ways to also make us healthier, but also more resilient. I think that's very important. I think resilience means that you're able to go you know, very deep into your energy resource and then come back you know, easy in a, in a faster way. So I love it, but I think it's also a big chunk for the overall public to master.
0: Yeah, and maybe a physician might play a role in there. I'm just quickly going to try to reach DT again just to see if we can um, have her opinion on it because she is a medical expert, of course. Just give me one second. Hi, you've reached Aditi. Unfortunately, I'm not available right now, but please try again later. Still not there. We'll have to do with you, Aline. You're not a physician, but what's your thought on the on metabolic health?
3: <laughs> so I think it's very interesting because it's getting us closer to personalized medicine. We've been talking about that for some years now, like moving from like a treatment for, for everybody to one for me. And that would be applied to... Uh, to to wellness as well, because we know that every everybody reacts differently, process medicine or food differently. So that would really have a positive impact on people. So I met recently a company based in, in India, they called Human Age, and they really focused on metabolism, as like you were describing before. It was explaining how it's developing his app. So the, the app is really like personal. Re- personalized recommendation to help you make the most of life and and have like the energy at the at the best. And he explained that he did the test or so is doing some like glucose analysis to start with for a few days to understand how your body reacts. And he did it for him and for his wife. And he showed the comparison of the two. And I thought it was very interesting because one would need to have like three meals per day, the other one two meals per day. They would need so a certain amount of protein per day. So one of them would need like the big portion like for lunch, the other one for dinner. I think it's really, really interesting to have those insights and to see how it is impacting us and how we can actually, if we act on that, to make the most of uh, our energy and be, be our best.
0: Yeah, and I think is that that is in the end what we all want, having great energy, enough energy continuously throughout the day um, so that we can be at our best that is really health enthusiasm thanks for that discussion now let's move to the next segment of the health podcast is it something nothing or everything So every month, one of the panelists brings an idea, an innovation or an evolution forward that sparked their health enthusiasm. The rest of the panel will then debate and share their opinion about it. Do they find it something, nothing or everything? Krupa, what sparked your health enthusiasm this month?
1: So mine is an initiative which is being launched in the UK by uh, YouTube. And most people will be aware of the era of misinformation and disinformation during COVID, especially on social media, especially and, and pertaining to health information. So, YouTube have partnered with uh, the NHS in the UK and launched a new feature to help. Um, residents find um, credible health information when they go onto their platform. So what they will do is they when they have their videos, they will place a banner at the bottom and it's known as a health secure information panel on their videos to show that information that they are showing and uh, which they're trying to access, so the public are trying to access in relation to health conditions actually comes from a credible and source which is trustworthy. So these are on the videos, which obviously that they have approved. This is something that I thought was uh, interesting. I think it's something. It's a start for me. I had lots of questions myself around this as to whether the information would be only available in English. Is it translated into other languages? How is it going to be promoted on their channel? And how can we be sure that people are just going to to YouTube? What about other social media platforms like Christoph just mentioned around TikTok? You know, if you see more and more people going there, how can you actually drive them to YouTube? So for me, it's a a trust issue. Sorry, it's not a trust, it's it's something. But uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I could see Mo looking up, Thinking as I was talking and I would be really interested in getting your opinion mode on this.
2: I think I love the initiative. What defines trust? Accuracy is trust, but balanced is also trustworthy. I think we lack balanced information. I say, you know, these are the pros, these are the cons, This is correct. And then what I've read in the article too is that it would, you know, only government instances would be eligible for the moment. And I think there also we need balance, right? Because as we, as, as we have seen in the last years, I think the platform should be credible and not just the content. I think it's an interesting I love the initiative. I've spoken to a lot of doctors who get frustrated by Dr Google and patients come to them and they they you know the internet sometimes makes work really tough but also you know they 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 need to know how to address that. But I think not just a piece of information should be accurate. I think the platform should be
0: balanced. That's a way forward. And so do you do you think it is something nothing or everything? I think it's absolutely something. Great. Alin. what do you think?
3: I, I agree with more, actually. I was thinking the same when I read the article. I found it a bit like limiting if only NHS can, uh, can produce those videos or, or publish those videos and they will have just that stamp of uh, trust information. There are many people out there doing information. We also need to understand like where the information is coming from, but like patient association, a lot of them are doing some videos based on uh, on science and why shouldn't they get the, the stamp, right? And I will also agree with, with uh, Krupa, you're mentioning TikTok. I think it's a great source of, uh, of information today. It's, um, and Christoph, you mentioned it at the beginning as well. It's really growing in the healthcare space. There's a lot of communities on there. Patients are going on, on TikTok to get information, to share the experience with other all all the patients, other users also based on the algorithm that TikTok is using. So really it's sending you or proposing you content based on your likes and, and, and interest. And I know big community, so we talked about it already and maybe linked to the fact that they, they bought those um, hospitals for women, but TikTok has a very big fertility and women health community. So with either patients sharing their, their journey and healthcare professionals like Mama Jones was very famous on there sharing really educational information to so maybe more based on the the younger generation to educate them to inform them about sexual health intimacy etc
0: so is it something nothing or everything
3: it's a little something for me
0: yeah I tend to agree I think it's something but it's it's just still very small I think first of all this indeed, what type of information comes out from whom? So who are they actually regulating? If you compare what they, the companies that they, they were regulating, what again, the, the NHS and similar institutions, right? Yeah, it'll
1: be, about, yeah any, it'll be institutions that are help and credible.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how big, how many information are they distributing compared to all the other companies? I think that it's super, super small. Also, we talked about the different channels out there. There's so many channels. We're only talking YouTube. Um, And there's also the type of information. There's medical information, but there's also preventative information and, and things that are alternative medicine or alternative healthcare solutions. So to me, I mean, I would love to see how big of a percentage of all the different information on health out there that will be regulated by this. So to me, that's indeed a very little something. I also wonder whether it is the right way to go. Because you can regulate and over regulate and we tend to overregulate very quickly in those settings. Not saying that we don't need it, but I think it's there there's it's a very different balance, as Mo was saying earlier as well. Maybe as a final remark as well, I uh, when I was reading the article that you sent, Koopa, I had to laugh because they said that they wanted to move on from medical leaflets. So I was like Oh, you taking the reference uh, medical leaflet as the reference for health information today? For still, and so yeah, we made we made a progress. We will now regulate YouTube as well, which is I, I really had to laugh reading that. But I, I do think it is a little something. I'm just very wary of regulation as a whole. Again, I'm really wondering what our medical expert would say about it. So let's just try one more time to reach her. Hi Zadithi, I'm not available right now.
1: And if this is Christoph, please stop calling me.
0: Okay, that was a that was a clear message. Cool, it is clearly something uh, what is happening on YouTube, Koopa. Thanks for that ID. But now on to something else. In this health enthusiasm world, we see the boundaries of industries blurring between the worlds of healthcare wellness and consumer businesses. You can see how consumer businesses are slowly moving into wellness and the healthcare space, while the healthcare industry is paying more attention to what is happening outside of their own industry. This brings the following question. What behavior, innovation or trend from one industry can be worthwhile for another industry? In other words, what should we bring inside out or outside in? So this month, I'll be bringing the inside-outside-in out, innovation or ID, perhaps, because I read a paper about, by Vitalik Buterin, which is the co-founder of Ethereum, which is one of the open source blockchains out there. And he was talking about the soul-bound tokens. It's, maybe you haven't heard of it. I'll briefly try to explain it. That said, I'm not a specialist in in the field, for sure. I think it's an interesting evolution that might happen, according to Vitalik Buterin, and that we really need to think about whether that could be something for the healthcare industry as well. He's talking about NFTs. Now, if you're not familiar with an NFT, well, it it is, in, in a way, it is a record on a blockchain that is associated specifically with a digital asset. So it could be a piece of art, and you then own one piece of art. Um, So NFTs are actually the way to own digital art, if you will. And you can then sell it. You can transfer the ownership depending on how the value of that piece of art or digital assets evolves. Now, the idea from Vitalik Buterin was to create NFTs where you don't transfer the ownership, meaning it is entirely linked to your own soul, to your own personality. So basically what you would do is you would collect and store elements of your identity. And those elements are not transferable. So you can imagine, for example, any objective attributes to be part of your own what they call then soul-bound tokens or soul-bound NFTs. It could be an education that you achieved, a professional achievement. Basically, your whole LinkedIn profile could be in there. You could have your memberships for a tennis club or a yacht club or whatever membership that might be out there. Maybe even uh, memberships for um, Netflix and all that linked to your personality. The children you have, you could even have your entire health history or your personal vital data in there. So the idea is that there would be a decentralized way of storing and collecting your unique data. And it would really help to, the issue that we have basically with the internet in the beginning, was that there was no identity. We really needed Google and Facebook to create those identities so that we can actually log into to places. And then they collect our data for us. In this case, we would have an identity, all the data would be linked to that identity, and we will be the sole, sole owner of that. Which would be very interesting, coming to think about it, because right now, we don't own the data that. Google is having about us, nor Facebook, nor any other websites. But the same can be said in healthcare as well. We don't own our data. It's very hard to get a view on your own own data. And we've seen initiatives by Google, we've seen initiatives by Microsoft, we've seen initiatives by Apple even recently to make sure that patients or humans can actually have access or even store their, their, their own health data. But it's not that easy, of course. It's hard to share it. It's hard to put it into the system, healthcare system, or to get it out of the healthcare system if it's already uh, in there. Also, we are lacking some sort of vault. Ourselves to collect our data properly and safely with enough security, with enough clarity about that it's really about us. And so maybe this soul bound tokens, this, these soul bound NFTs could be a future solu- solution to actually store our data and may- maybe even change the entire way that health data is being managed and maybe the, the entire way that we manage our health in general. So it's it's very futuristic. It's uh, it it was very flabbergasting if I read it, Um, but I was very curious to know how you look at these things. Mo, please go ahead. I think that uh,
2: ninety percent of health and care is in the transfer of information, whether it is from one physician to another. I've seen a lot of patients go to different physicians and still have to re-explain, you know, what happened. The interoperability of different systems. I think if we could have kind of a A universal key that would, you know, stock that data and um, that would be incredible. I think that would really advance healthcare. Secondly, I'm thinking a lot of companies monetize data that you're not part of. It would claim ownership of some businesses, you know, 0.0003% of what you are generated is generated by data and I can... Really see that you're using my data to do that. So I want a piece of that cake, right? I would love a lot of that monetization coming back to the owner. And if you can trace that that data is used, you know, that you can claim that this is yours. I would love a kind of a collaborative. Cooperative way of monetizing the data, and you know, just think—you can have that, you can use it. It's still mine, but then I can still trace whether or not, you know, how much of your revenue is generated by by my data. I would love, you know, the empowerment of data for the individual to be
0: uh, to be there. Yeah, interesting. And uh, and the question will indeed be. Will we still be able to monetize our data if it is ours? We will see how it uh, how it goes. Aline, wh- what's your thought on this?
3: So I'm excited about the part around healthcare, but not so much the part around the, the the privacy, the personal things about me. I think you take off like the human part. You know, if you have this on an NFT and you just share it with someone, they are like raw data. No, like I've been told several times that my LinkedIn doesn't give justice to what I do. So when I explain the data, something else come, come out of it. I think it's the same if you have that, that vault and you just share the NFT. I'm not sure it really transmits like who the people are. But when it comes to healthcare, and we've been talking about that application of NFT for healthcare, would be, as you mentioned already, for each of us to have our health data we would owe them. And where I see a very interesting use case, and I hope it will happen, I've been waiting for that for years. It's like people like me who were born in France, I lived in the UK for a few years, now I've been living in Spain for many years. My data all around the place, and I still go to France regularly because I like their healthcare system over there, but there's there's no communication. I mean, in Spain, there's no communication between private and public system. There's no communication like if I if I go to Madrid. So that NFT for healthcare would enable me to do that to all my data and to share it with who I want, when I want. I think the issue, and that's what's happening in France at the moment with Mon Espace Santé, that new system they're putting in place for each uh, citizen to have his, his uh, patient file, is always putting the information in the file. That would be my uh, my doubt. But maybe a point for what you, you mentioned before there's a company in Switzerland called Halfbank. Bank. And so it's a cooperative. It's built on blockchain. So you have your, your patient file over there. And um, you can actually get something back when a pharma company or researcher company wants to access your data and uh, analyze those, those data. So there's already things there. And yeah, but I think there's some uh, a lot of positive things that can come out of that.
0: Yeah, and I, I like you mentioned Mon Santé, where indeed all French citizens could have their personal file with their health data in there. But it still remains linked to France, of course. If we would manage in a world that is driven by the internet, which has no country boundaries, if we could create something like a soul-bound NFT where everybody stocks and files their information, then we don't. We're not limited anymore to the healthcare system. You are in by accident because you're born there or because you live there. I, I do agree or I I, I like your thought on, on on saying like it could be great for healthcare, but maybe less for the other for, for for other elements of my life. I understood what you said there. I what I like about it is that having all this information about you all together in one, in one place, in one vault, it's intriguing. Calling it soul-bound tokens or NFTs, I, th- I think it's 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 even almost mysterious or esoterical whatsoever, but it, it really goes beyond everything. Krupa, what do you think about these soul-bound NFTs?
1: So I had to read this article a few times to make sense of it. So I found it quite confusing. And in fact, I actually came across another article which said that they're hoping to have this coming into play by the end of this year. So, Christophe, when you were saying it was futuristic, it was, you know, to see that I was quite shocked. The end of this year seems very soon. I'm going to put my research hat on here because immediately it's got me thinking around the the ethics of of what goes on here. You know, if you're in this virtual world, how can you prevent? It's always a case of how do you prevent uh, theft and this identity theft that may occur? So the application is great, and the accessibility is, is fantastic. I believe. How can you stop uh, people from taking your data? How will you always know it's you? Or how will an institution, if you go from one doctor to another, they'll always know it's you, even though you're presenting in in real life as you, but someone else could, you know, say that they're you. So that was one thing. I. I was a bit worried about, and then I wondered around governance how are they actually going to govern all of this again, I know we, we've talked about the fact we don't like governance or you know some of us don't, but I think that how are how is this going to be governed so that the public have faith in order for them to put their trust in something like this to use it to know that if this data is out there, it is safe and it can be used in a safe way for me, there were some uh, governance issues and then I did read that organizations can transfer tokens to you but what if you don't want these tokens or what what if once it's there are you then stuck with that and then maybe I had a condition you know 10 years ago but actually I've overcome this condition does it affect me in the future if I for example need to take out health insurance or or whatnot but actually that condition is no longer is no longer part of me is it stuck with me? So what's the what's all the processes that are going to happen around that? There's a lot of questions it raised for me. I, I think it could be good, but lots of questions.
2: We're overlooking the biggest flaw, that is human nature. If I am deciding what goes into my token, I can also have a very biased impression. I can also, you know make sure that i allow things in my token and i don't allow things in my token to kind of give the best version of me and if if i overcame a disease which is really interesting but might hold me back i won't put it in there right so i think yes i think it's good but i think the biggest flaw i think is still human selection and um i think it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion if I decide who is me, how selective am I in the way I portray
3: myself? Yeah, I think what would be interesting here is uh, to have the possibility. So the good thing with NFT or token is that you can choose who has access to that information. But maybe what I'm missing and based on what we've been discussing now is to be able to create some file in my NFT. Some would be private to me. I would never share them. So maybe... That's where the personal information, I would be more inclined if I have just for me a, a repository not to forget things. And then some other file I can share. So maybe Krupa, like the information about the previous disease that's not affecting me, I would put that in my private file. And there's another one I would share with a healthcare professional.
0: Yeah, we're talking soul-bound NFTs, and we're touching to the soul of our very human being. And we talked about safety, about trust. I think it's all about that, right? It's about human behavior. We're not there yet. There's a lot of questions still to be answered. So with these smart words and with this very nice discussion on soulbound NFTs, I'd like to wrap up the Healthusiasm podcast for this month. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. By the way, you can also find us on the Shift Forward Health channel. It's a podcast channel of thought leaders who are actively designing and building the healthcare and self-care business of tomorrow. For now, I'd like to to thank you, our own thought leaders, uh, for their insights and in health enthusiasm. Thank you, Aline Noizé, Krupa Sutar, and Mozovina. And next month, we will be back with Aditi Joshi for sure. My name is Christophe Choquet. We are the health enthusiasm panel, and we'd love to see you again next month for some more health enthusiasm. Ciao.
1: Thanks again.